1: Keep that champagne on ice or beer or stogies or whatever they do to celebrate. The Tampa Bay Rays came close, but no cigar. They lose 4-3 to the Astros in Game 4 of the American League Championship Series. Tyler Glass now takes the loss. First inning homer by Jose Altuve and a double dinner run later after the Rays tied it up on Randy Orozarena's home run. George Springer with a two-run blast. The Rays will try to wrap it up tonight as they still have a 3-1 lead in this best-of-seven series. And we've got college football to talk about. Some big names uh, and big games on tap this weekend. But COVID is a big story in college football. Alabama coach Nick Saban has coronavirus. 21 players at least have uh, tested for it as well. And their game against LSU is postponed. So we'll talk a little college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times, also on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know who's got the best party planners for your catering in Tampa Bay? Well, that's easy. It's Mr. Empanada. Now, what the heck is an empanada? Well, you take your favorite foods and place them inside a pocket of homemade dough that is cooked perfectly until it's golden brown and piping hot. And their empanadas are a fresh twist on some old favorites. You can order delicious menu items made from scratch, including soups, salads, and Cuban sandwiches online at MrEmpanada.com, or you can call any one of their seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay, where Latin food, quality, and service meet. It's Mr. Empanada. Well, I never knew if it was going to be a sweep, although certainly that was a possibility the way the Rays have uh, been playing of late. But uh, they, they, lo- they lose 4-3 to three to the Astros in a game they had a chance to win right up until the final at bat. In fact, in fact um, a, a hard-hit ball ended the game. Uh, with the tying run on third base on, in Willie Adamas, who just missed a home run himself and on nearly tied the game in the ninth inning. Um, some interesting moves. You know, some they made the comment during the game, Steve, that uh, it was as if Dusty Baker was managing back in the 80s. <laughs> and he went, forget, throw out the analytics, throw out the book, throw out. He was managing from his gut. He stuck with Zach Greinke. Uh, he had his closer up a couple times, didn't go to him. And it nearly cost them, but you know what it didn't, and the Astros get a win, they avoid the sweep, and you know I, I look it's they still have a long ways to go they 'd have to win three more in a row, but at least they have a fighting chance anyway and and this was a game that you know uh the Tampa Bay Rays hung in there, they did what they usually do. they played good defense for the most part, they got decent pitching. but the home run to George Springer, and no make no mistake, that ball was crushed.
2: Well Glasnow was getting behind on too many hitters. I mean, what was it? You like bet. 5 of the first 11 he went 2-0 counts on. You bet. Um, you know, I mean, I mean he that did, was a 2-1 he, pitch. I yeah, think. he did go 6 innings. Mm-hmm. You know, for you know, that, that was, you know, unheard of for this Rays team for a starter to go that long. But mm-hmm. he was and he even said in the post game just, you know, frustrated that he was getting behind on hitters and that that really cost him. Um, you know, I don't know if you should just walk out Tuve in the first inning from now on. <laughs>
1: Why not? I mean, what, I mean three geez. home
2: runs of the four games in the first inning for him.
1: It's incredible. It's like okay, we'll just give uh, Mark them down with a run, and it's a an whole two V home run. Okay, good enough. Let's now we can start the game. Yeah, Every just, game
2: start down one zero, and then you know you're just spotting them a run. Mm-hmm. That's all. Uh, but that run was yeah. a, you know ma- 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 that's not necessarily the difference tonight. But obviously, it was a one run game that they lost tonight. But uh, you sure. know Glass now y- 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 you know he said he didn't have his breaking ball wasn't. Wasn't there today, so he was relying too much on the fastball, and that got him behind on hitters. So, um, yeah. you know, when you don't have one of your pitches, that that does make it a little tougher. But, um, yeah, you know, you just kept thinking, you know, I, the Rays are the ultimate analytic team. So Dusty went old school and went the opposite way. You know, I didn't like the move in the ninth for him to not start Presley at the start of the ninth. Right. Um, you know, I think I would want to bring my closer in on it with a you know nobody on clean. You know, I know he's trying to squeeze another batter or two out of Javier, but you know, Presley was already up and warming a couple times, so you know, it might as well throw him at that point. Yeah, you know, you're not. What are you saving him for tomorrow? Right. You know, and and it almost cost him. I mean, you know, Wendell scored the walk scored, and then you know, you know, home run and Susuko, you know, put it put a drive into it, but it was you know caught by the right fielder there to end the game. But you know, but if you're if you're Dusty Baker, you know, you've tried everything else, you might as well try something different.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And, and I mean, you know, he stuck with Greinke, too, uh, much longer than some people would have. And, in fact, uh, with the bases loaded, you know, you had Mike Brasso up there, 3-2 count. And and he, I give him credit. I mean, talk about confidence. He throws a changeup that's out of the strike zone. It's ball four. But Brasso is so far out in front that he can't hold up. He swings and misses and gets out of that inning. I thought that was the game uh, in a sense. I know they had the, the rally there in the ninth inning, but um, – you know, if they get one home there, then uh, then the obviously the run they score in the ninth ties the game. But uh, but yeah, he he you know Greinke was was pretty much done, man. He was leaking oil. Doesn't throw that hard anymore to begin with. But man, he's he's just got a great mix of off speed and and location. You know, and uh, he pitched very very well. And and you know, like a couple years ago, he'd have been throwing ninety seven. Instead, he was throwing about eighty seven.
2: I think that stopped a string of 10 straight games where
1: he didn't get a win in the postseason. Is that right? Wow. Wow. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I I I think I saw that
2: tweet. I can't remember who tweeted it, but... Yeah, that's a great one. For a guy, when you think of Granky, you wouldn't think that. that He could go 10 straight starts in a postseason and not have a win.
1: No, no, because he's played for a lot of really good baseball teams and has been a big part of them, too. Um yeah, you know, I don't. You had a stat a, a little while ago. I mean, about Randy Arez Arena. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Uh, a couple of years ago, I'm trying to think of his name, and they mentioned it during the broadcast. You probably would know the Mets' uh, second baseman um, through the National League uh, playoff series against the Cubs, and then on into the World Series. I think you know hit like six home runs or something in in eight days or six days or something like that. But
2: yeah, I'm trying. The name's drawn a blank, but.
1: Yeah, there just hasn't been there just hasn't been that many guys that hot with the long ball in particular. I mean, you know, he uh you know, he picked on a hanging curve and, and just launched one. And you know, when they tie the game right there, it's two nothing. They tie the game. I really thought that they were gonna finish him off. You know, you really get the sense that look, there's just it's just their time. And it and it may well still be. There's a little more pressure on them. I mean, I think every game you don't close it out, you start to feel more um, but let's be honest, if if somehow Houston is able to win four straight games after being down 3-0, that would be a bigger collapse than what the Lightning did mm-hmm. losing to Columbus in four straight. Um, I don't anticipate that happening. But, um, you know, they have a lot of pride over there. And, and for Altuve, who has been wearing the goat horns now for a couple games because of his plays, you know, in the field and, and bad throws and whatnot, that had to be a, a big redemption for him tonight, you know, to – or on well, as we do this podcast, it was tonight. But last night, um, to 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 have driven in, you know, a couple of runs, and then you know, with the home run, and I'm with you. If I see him come up in the first inning, I'm putting up four fingers. I'm doing the Tom Brady, you know, <laughs> like I'm just <laughs> yeah. four. Well, Daniel One Murphy's
2: line. the second baseman we were thinking of on the Mets. there. You go, Daniel Murphy. Uh, with uh, yeah. Six He's straight hot, games man. he had a home run. Yeah, but a Rosarina tonight set the rookie record for most total bases in a single postseason. Now has mm. 43 or uh, I'm sorry 39 of them and 43 at- bats, and Yuri mm. Guriel is now the second place he was first. he had 36, so he's passed him by three. Guriel took 69 at-bats to do that.: Goodness. And Rosarina passed him 20 what six at- bats actually 27 or eight at- bats because it was earlier in the game. Wow you know sooner. And he passed them. And, you know, that list of rookies, you know, total bases of single postseason, Chipper Jones, Evan Longoria, Miguel Cabrera, Dustin Pedroya, Cody mm-hmm. Bellinger, Derek Jeter, and Hideki Matsui, those are the top, what, seven or eight? Yeah. And he's now passed them all. And, you know, you've got at least three more games to play. At right. Worst case for the race. A yeah, mm-hmm. and maybe more. But at least three games you're guaranteed still to play in this postseason. So. I mean, he's just crushing the ball.
1: Well, one thing they could have done had they won the game was gotten a little more rest because it we know that at least that, you know, the NLCS with the Dodgers mm-hmm. and Well the World um, Series isn't gonna start till Tuesday. So Yeah. You know, but I mean, they they you know. could have they could have wrapped it up. And I mean that mm-hmm. that game is gonna that, that series is gonna go on a little bit. By the way, nice first inning for the Dodgers, Ooh. man. Ooh. <laughs> Wow. Down down two oh. You think you guys are a little underachieving? Okay. There's eleven runs in the first. I mean eleven runs. I don't think I've seen eleven runs in the first in uh forever. A grand slam. Um there was a oh three run home run. It was it was crazy. Um that game was like fifteen to two in a minute, you know, or, or so. But uh uh so they got all their frustrations out. I don't know how many hits they got left in their bats, but that series is gonna go on and it should. Because the Dodgers are a really good team, and you know Atlanta's had a really nice start in that series, but I'm not counting out you know that one that series is two one so it's much more uh winnable if you're uh, if you're the dodgers than you know then the Astros having to win four in a row, but we'll see now i'm not I'm not clear what they'll do um I guess Mark Topkin reported they hadn't made a decision on who their starter yeah know, the, the game, Astros haven't either probably. the Astros said yeah.
2: probably not uh, Valdez or Um Mm -hmm. uh what's the other guy? Uh Valdez or it's not gonna be him on short rest or McCullers. Right. So not sure what they're gonna do either. I'm assuming the Ray, I mean you could go Blake Snell on short rest. Although I don't know if I do that. I mean you've got a three. I don't think they
1: will. Yeah, I don't think they will. I think think you're more likely to both him and Charlie Morton on full day's rest if you need to keep playing,
2: yeah i think I think more than likely you would do a probably an opener, and then maybe Josh Fleming's the next guy in, or maybe you know a mm-hmm. couple of relievers before you get to Fleming, yeah, uh maybe McClanahan gets some time in there, mm-hmm. um you know the good thing you know, look you lost this game, you're down three to one you're still in control of the series, but you didn't use any of your a bullpen tonight, so you know Nick Anderson. And Castillo and Fairbanks and all these guys did not did not pitch tonight. You use Slagers mm-hmm. and Alvarado who looked really good, uh, which mm-hmm. was a good sign. I mean that's one of the things nice. you know Kevin Cash wanted to get him in this game, yes. uh, to get to you know get him throwing some and he looked good. So you know he's not your A bullpen at this point, but he's another good arm and, and if he's pitching well this postseason, it's another weapon for them to have out of that bullpen.
1: Oh, it's huge. I mean, a left-hander throwing, you know, almost 100 miles an hour, if he's got his command, it's only going to help them um, for sure. I thought uh, the one thing that would that would bother me if I were a Rays fan is this. Outside of Randy Arozarena, if you removed what he has done, and what he has done is historic almost at this point, you know, I thought I saw Austin Meadows start to heat up a little bit. You know, he had three hits um, on the night and and swung the bat really well. Um, but they don't have another guy, right? That's really very toasty. They don't have um, a couple three hundred hitters. I mean, their guys are all batting two hundred or below. Um, that's they have not they they've hit gotten hits in key situations and they've had some big flies, some home runs out of the ninth part of the batting order was Zanino and some others and Zanino had a big line drive hit the other day. And I'm not saying that they're not capable of it. Kevin Kiermaier didn't play in the game. That was more as a precaution. They said he could have he was available if they needed him to. So maybe he comes back in the lineup. But this is not like they're going to have to win 2 to 1. They're going to have to win you know, unless they have some big inning, they're going to have to win you know, four to three. Well, this postseason,
2: um, this postseason, rosarina's hitting 442. Mm hmm. Brasso's hitting 286. Okay. He's only got 14 at bats. Perez yeah. is hitting 286. He's two for seven. He's not played yet. Then you got Wendell at 267. Margot's at 241. Kiermeyer's at 212. And everybody else is 200 or below.
1: Two hundred or below, and that's a lot of baseball that's players. That's G Man
2: Choice at two hundred, then everybody goes Zanino's one seventy nine, yeah. Diaz is one sixty seven, a great, his on base percentage Su- is four twenty three. Go not good. You know. Renfro's one sixty seven, Meadows one fifty four, Adamas one twenty nine, Sutsugo yeah, eighty three, Lau seventy five.
1: Terrible. Uh, terrible. And they pinch hit Lau and I understood why they did it, you know. Uh, they they need they need at least one other bat to be dragged along. I mean, if Meadows is going to get a little warm. They need a Lau. They need you know somebody else, um, you know, because at some point, at some point, I think, I think they're going to start getting the Rosarina out, or he's going to start hitting some balls at people like there were some hard hard struck balls, um, you know, on on Wednesday night. So I don't know. Um, that w- that would that part would still concern me because I still think their pitching staff, you know, especially their starters. Not know who's going to go tonight, but I, I still think their staff tends to nibble uh and you know puts a lot of runners on base they don't get deep in the game they burn themselves out from a pitch count standpoint i think that's just sort of who they are and they they wriggle off the hooked well um but you know for the sake of uh people's pulse rates around here in in tampa bay i would i would think that they need a little better you know a little better effort but We'll see. Look, they they've got a three one lead. You can't complain about that. They're playing good baseball. Um, they did not give this game away. The Astros had some timely home runs, and um, you know, and, and, and won the game. And and the Rays were in it right up until uh, the final at bat, and a well struck ball yeah. by uh, by Susugo.
2: Well, and they, they asked Dusty Baker of the Astros strategy to bypass the Rays defense, and he says they can't catch them over the fence.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's I mean, three true. of their four
2: runs tonight were via the home run, so. Yeah. I mean, hey, Although, the Astros got their first RBI with a runner in scoring position tonight.
1: Isn't that crazy. That's crazy. You know, in this yeah, series, they,
2: they they had not they had not gotten a RBI with a runner in scoring position this whole series.
1: Yeah, several guys they loaded the bases with, held them up at third, but um, yeah, no RBIs yet. But hey, they're going to go to bed, you know, feeling a lot better about themselves, and wake up in the morning and think they have a chance, and and the Rays have to reset and. then you know, you gotta win one more game. And you know, they don't reward you for for being up three oh. You've gotta win one more game. So from that standpoint, um but it was a good game and um you know, it's seven games in seven days. This is not an easy ask for either team, and it's a even harder ask if you're doing a podcast at one o'clock in the morning every <laughs> night. But hey, hey. At least,
2: hey, this game tonight wasn't too long. I mean, you know, this no, was it wasn't one of the too shorter bad. ones, so
1: yeah, it had some pace to it and and if you know if they're still in the series, you know, after Thursday night's game, then the, the, the start times I think are a little sooner. Although we won't be talking to you again until Monday, but
2: yeah, today's a five o'clock start for today. So uh, the Dodgers no, and Braves get the night game tonight. So five o'clock. Oh well, heck, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And Friday, bed, Friday's in a in six early.
2: o'clock start. So
1: yeah, well, I don't, I don't care as much about Friday because I don't, I, you know, not up. You know, doing what I normally do. Um, although I will be doing soccer with the kids in the Saturday mornings, but um, yeah, I, I like it a little bit earlier than than the eight thirty, eight o'clock, you know, type starts. Especially with some of these games going well over three hours, um, you know. So so that that part is tough. We've also got a uh, little Buccaneer news. You know, they were back at practice on Wednesday. This is a bad development, in my opinion. Um, Carlton Davis is hurt. Carlton Davis did not practice. We saw him; they were indoors, and we saw him outside with with the the trainer Bobby Slater, which is never a good place to be. And you couldn't really tell what they were doing. You know, some 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 field grass drills or whatever. You know, running around a little bit. Um, but apparently, he's listed with an uh, an abdomen injury of some kind, and those can be really tricky and can be really lingering. And you just don't know the extent of it when it happened, all that sort of thing. We really haven't gotten. Um, too deeply into it, but when you're talking about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is supposed to come back. Losing Carlton Davis, your best cover corner, the guy with three interceptions is not the way you want to go. Now, they, they can always you know, put Jamal Dean on one side, Sean Murphy Bunting, who's been a little nicked up on the other side. Um, you know, you can move down your safety Antoine Winfield into the slot. Uh, so they, they have some, they have some options right now. You wouldn't want to get anybody else hurt. But um, well, you have options, but, but
2: that's your best corner, and you're going against your Aaron Rodgers.
1: Corner. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, who are we kidding here? And they're already without Vita Vea, you know. And here comes Aaron Jones, maybe one of the best running backs they've faced. Although they're number one in run defense, I, I mean, something's going to give here. Uh, this is a really good Packers team, and, and Aaron Rodgers, by the way, no interceptions this year, and by the way, he's only been sacked three times. So that Packers offensive line is really very, very good. Um, Mike Evans didn't practice so you know Thursday today is a, is a big day um for the Rays because or for the Bucks cuz all those guys that have been sort of limited need to get on the practice field and they and they need to run around I think what's hurt them they've gotten guys like Mike Evans back for game day they test out the ankle the hamstring whatever it is but when you don't have the reps in the game plan during the week or running full speed that 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 throws the timing off a little bit and and that's sort of what's been frustrating is there's been almost a key player every week or so That's that's been hurt. And um, they're trying to get guys healthy. And, you know, I think they'll have the majority of them um, for sure. And, you know, they're going to need it because this Green Bay team is really, really good and, and everybody knows about their quarterback. So we'll talk more uh, certainly about the uh, Bucks and Packers uh, on tomorrow's podcast, no doubt about it. We'll break that game down um, as we get a little closer to it. College football has uh, had its headlines lately and locally as well in the state of Florida about COVID. And uh, as we're doing this podcast not too many hours ago, it was announced that uh, Alabama coach Nick Saban and and the Alabama AD both uh, had tested positive for COVID. So we're still waiting as we do this to determine, you know, what's going to happen with the Alabama-Georgia game, if anything. But Florida's game uh, against LSU – has been postponed. Always seems like it's LSU, by the way. Some weird things happen when they play them. Um, (laughs) Let's, I mean, you've lived through all of it, but let's start there because um, I guess this outbreak happened sort of, you know, uh, early in the week, and then quickly after that, they they had to uh, make a decision. This seems like this is going to happen, and it's happened in the NFL. We've seen games postponed, but this is the reality we're living in that – you know they're trying to navigate this while while players and coaches are not in a bubble and and this virus is out there
0: yeah um so thanks for having me on um let's first because you touched on it first let's talk about the florida lsu weirdness um (laughs) because somebody i had i mean obviously i've known some of it but i couldn't hadn't i had forgotten some of all the weirdness and turns out uh About five years ago, I started a file with the weirdness because there was previous weirdness that was getting added to it. So (laughs) here's the quick summary. Um, I'm going to show my work. Some of this is from the Miami Herald and and Sports Illustrated, what they've kind of done in the past, um, and I've added to it. So 2009, uh, the previous game, Tim Tebow suffers a concussion, uh, was hospitalized, didn't know whether he was going to play. Turns out he did play for the Gators, and they they won in a top-four showdown. 2011, Mm -hmm. the previous game, Both uh, the Gators' top two quarterbacks got hurt, so freshman Jacoby Brissett had not played in a college game, ends up starting for the Mm -hmm. Gators. 2014, Mm -hmm. Trayon Harris uh, was suspended that week um, after being accused of a sexual assault, and that complaint was later withdrawn, but still. 2015, uh, LSU week, is when Will Greer, who at the time was lighting up everybody and looked like the savior quarterback for the Gators, got suspended after failing an NCAA drug test. So Trayon Harris started again, uh, that week because Greer without 2016 was the Hurricane Matthew game where the Gators were supposed to play to host LSU. Then the hurricane came. Florida said, this doesn't make sense. LSU said, what are you talking about? You're ducking. Uh, now we're going to reschedule it and you're going to play at our place. And Florida won on a goal line stand. And Jim McLean said, you all got what you deserve. And then here we are four <laughs> years later. It's surprised it took four years for something crazy to happen. And the, uh, the Gators first football, postponement, cancellation, whatever um, happens during the LSU week because, of course, it does. Um, It's just been, I mean, like everything else in this stupid year, it's just been a crazy week um, where they had been doing better. I mean, they had one uh, positive test last week, but it really gone like 10, 11 weeks with pretty much nothing. And then um, what what happened was on Friday there were a couple players who – Started experiencing some kind of allergy-like symptoms. Didn't tell anybody because you know, they just thought it was an allergy. Uh, they ended up playing in the game, and then on Sunday, Sunday evening, some of the players start reporting that they're not feeling hundred percent. And then on Monday, they start getting some positive tests back, and there's at least five that we knew of um, on that were reported on Monday. By two, you know, they said, "Okay, well, we gotta we gotta do something here. We gotta make sure we're taking care of everybody." So they start doing daily testing. And as of Tuesday afternoon, the number was 19. And then as of today, the number is 21, uh, plus a couple, at least two assistant coaches, plus some uh, so, you know, unspecified amount of support staff. And then finally, uh, this afternoon, they said, you know what, we're not going to be able to play. Um, the SEC's threshold for playing a game is 53 scholarship players, including I think it's seven offensive linemen, including a center, um, at least a quarterback and four D linemen or something like that. And the Gators were going to be down somewhere under 50. So they said, look, this isn't safe. We can't do this. Let's postpone it and try again December 12th. And that's where they are. Um, The other uncertain let me ask thing. You, to get, let me ask you this is
1: it, yep. it, just real quickly. It, how does this affect, if anything, w- w- with what may or may not be going on right now at Texas A&M? Because obviously, you know, not too many days after they were, down there in College Station, uh, you know, these, these incidents occurred?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. As of right now, there is, uh, or let me rephrase that, as of yesterday, Texas A&M said there was no impact. Um, now, how this how this stuff works, um, we, we saw this some with the USF Notre Dame, where Notre Dame had an outbreak right around the game where they played, and then USF had to do contract, contact tracing. So the, the SEC has little, like the NFL does, like little, risks watches almost kind of thing where they can tell how often you're within close proximity to someone so they have that as one mechanism that's in place where they can figure out how often you were near number 32 um and and whether you might be at at risk um and then they'll also okay once once they know these 10 players whatever it is this amount of players who played tested positive they can go back on the film and say okay how often were our people near these guys, and then kind of add up the amount of time and determine whether they think they're at risk uh, and and need to quarantine. Um, But again, as of Tuesday, Texas A&M came out and said that, you know, there's been no impact on their program. um, And we'll see if that continues going forward.
1: Well um yeah that's that's going to be something to watch for sure, and then, as far as uh, you know a big game between Georgia and Alabama was, as yet, that one is still on track as far as we know, as we do again, as we do this podcast on you know some Wednesday night.
0: Yes, that's correct. um again i don't to I don't want to speculate. I'm obviously not in Alabama. I don't know all the details, sure. but what I do know is that i mean Saban is obviously Sabin's the, the king of the sport but he is not the first coach that has tested positive for for covid-19 um you know mike norvell obviously did it down here a couple of weeks ago and right. they didn't have an enormous outbreak um they were able to to play that week and uh, you know obviously they haven't missed a game yet so far knock on wood for the Knowles. um so coaches have gotten smart i mean they know what's going on here like it's not like this snuck up on anybody um so they've had set situations and protocols in place where A, if I get sick, if I get, you know, if I get a positive test, here's what our succession plan is going to be, basically. And then also, because this is a possibility, here's how we're going to conduct things in a manner where hopefully I'm not exposing myself to other people because, I mean, you know how how paranoid coaches are. They don't want anybody to get it, let alone their entire staff, where then it's GAs having to come in and coach or something like that. So, you know, I'm I'm sure Saban has thought about things and conducted himself in a manner where it's not, you know, probably not going to have to, to, to wipe out the entire staff um, or a whole chunk of the team based on contact tracing.
1: Do we know who would take over for Saban? And let's just look at this Georgia, Alabama game, because um, it, like I said, it's a marquee game in the sec, no doubt about it. It looks like the fighting Todd Munkins may have settled on a quarterback.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll kind of, we'll see. I think that the plan would be for Steve Sarkisian to be the interim coach at Alabama while Saban's out. Um, obviously he was the head coach at USC and, and Washington. Um, very, you know, he, he's, he's knows what to do. He, he's no dummy. So that would be, uh, you know, my understanding is that's the plan for Bama. Um, and then we'll kind of see, uh, <laughs> you're right. It looks like uh, Georgia might have a, a quarterback, um, it's not the way that I think anybody expected. Um, I think everybody, myself included first thought it was going to be Jamie Newman, the grad transfer mm-hmm. from Wake Forest who opted out. And then um, you look at uh, the, the five-star um, transfer they had from uh, USC and uh, JT Daniels. And, and now you know, Stetson Bennett uh, is, is coming in and has played pretty darn well here the last couple weeks and kind of kind of Jake froming it, I think in some ways where, He's not the guy that people comparison. expected, not the biggest name, mm-hmm. um, but you know what? He's getting the job done, and we'll see what he's able to do with this uh, you know, potentially in, in this game, and hopefully, and then going forward the rest of the year as well. Getting back to
1: Florida, they may not play this week. Obviously, or they're not going to play this week, but uh, uh, they'll have more chance to look at the film of their defense, which has not been good over, You know, what is it, 100 points in the first three games. That's like never happened since they started playing football in 1908 at the University of Florida. Um, you know, just just listening to uh, Dan Mullen made it alternately sound like we, there's nothing really, no problem here. To well, we're going to take a close look at it. Uh, look, I don't I don't know if he's into you know, firing defensive coordinators like Todd Grantham during the season, but but clearly, um, as good as A and M is, and they are very good offensively, they also are the same team that scored 17 against Vanderbilt. So I find it hard to believe that Florida doesn't have as good a players. So, so what do you think is ultimately going to
0: happen with the, with that Florida defense, moment? You know, there's an alternate universe out there somewhere, Rick, where in the Tampa Bay times and, and Saturday's E edition and on com, where you could have read a really interesting, I hope, uh, examination of what the heck is going on with the Gators defense. Uh, it's in yes, a Word indeed. document somewhere here, but um, maybe I'll get to dust <laughs> that off at some point. <laughs> you know how Saving it is. Saving it, for, it a, this is a, for an
1: actual game? <laughs> it,
0: you know, it would have been been nice, but um, yeah, that, that, that's one of those things that goes into to, uh, the, the cloud up in the sky, never to be heard from again. Um, Give us the highlights. <laughs> there's a bunch of theories as to why the gators defense stinks um some of it is offenses as a whole are ahead of defenses right now um that's true across college football certainly in the sec um for a bunch of different reasons uh mullen said the other day maybe we've played three really good or three unbelievable offenses is the, the phrase that he used and that is the first time in the history of the known universe rick where someone has referred to a Will Muschamp offense as unbelievable in a positive manner. So there was was some history there when when Mullen said that. So, you know, you can tell I'm I'm being facetious. I don't think, you know, I I think uh, Ole Miss has a great offense. A&M, maybe they've figured something out, but I don't don't think that's it either. I, I think I just think they're not very good. It's that simple. Yeah. I mean, the, the the Gators lost a lot defensively. You know, Jonathan Grenard, I, I thought, was one of the best pass rushers, All-America guy uh, on one end. Uh, Jabari Zuniga was a, a you know mid-round, high-round draft pick on the other end. You look at a guy like C.J. Henderson, who's done well in the league so far was a top 15 draft pick. You lose David Reese, who was the heart and soul of that defense for the last couple of years, at linebacker. That's something that you can't overstate either. And then you factor in all the other stuff, the, the lack of... Uh, practice time, tackling, and then the fact that offenses are doing so well, and on and on and on, and, and and the fact that they've been banged up. You know, Kyrie Campbell, the defensive tackle, hasn't played for uh, whatever reason. Um, so we add all that stuff up, and you get a defense that, by the Gator standard, has been historically bad. Um, again, we won't have a chance to see how they do this week, but I don't know what they're going to how they're going to fix it anytime soon. I, I think there's a lot of issues there. Were I mean, it's not talent because they've got you know, plenty, if you believe the stars, and I do to a large degree, they've got plenty of stars there. It's just a matter of it's not coming together because of scheme or something else, and I haven't quite put my finger on it.
1: You know, I was looking forward uh, and watched a good portion of uh, the Miami-Clemson game. Derek King did not, did not play that great, uh, to say the least, but it, I thought that game would be a little more competitive uh, in the end than it eventually was. Miami now is going to come back to earth a little bit and and, and uh, play Pitt. So what did we learn about the Hurricanes and, um, you know, their their first real, I, I guess you'd say, shot at, at, at maybe being competitive against Clemson?
0: We learned they're not there yet. It, I, it, I think it's that simple. Um, I think mm-hmm. when you, comp- you know, if you use me- Clemson as a measuring stick, the way they've been the last few years, you know, in 2015, Cle- uh, Miami lost 58 to nothing at home. In 2017, mm-hmm. they lost 38-3 to in Charlotte in the ACC title game. This one, at least, was a little more competitive. No, it, it was mm-hmm. not close. And if the standard is for Miami to be winning championships and beating Clemson, they are not there. They are not particularly close. But I think they are closer. Um, mm-hmm. And you look at—they just have some big holes. I mean, they've upgraded talent, and they're they're moving in the right direction, I think. But they don't have enough dudes on the offensive line. Um, they don't have enough playmakers at, at wide receiver, which is kind of stunning when you think about all the really good athletes in the state, but they, they don't have enough just dudes uh, out there to, to spread the field and to, to challenge uh, Clemson's really good secondary and what have you. So that's the biggest thing that I think I kind of took away from it is they, they just got to get more dudes They're They're moving in the right direction, but they're not there yet.
1: No doubt. It was definitely an improvement over what they've shown against Clemson over the last couple of years. Um, uh, Florida State is going to play what is now a ranked, uh, pretty highly ranked North Carolina team. Uh, Mike Norvell, how is his team trending after uh, a couple of weeks ago? Of course, with just that awful performance at Miami.
0: I think that, I think they're moving in the right direction too. Um, you know, Norvell was asked in, in kind of different ways about uh, the Notre Dame loss being a
1: kind of moral
0: victory, and he's like, "Look, we're we're Florida State. They're, we don't believe in moral victories," and I give him credit for that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you look at how mediocre to bad this program has been the last few years. And yeah, I think it was a moral victory of sorts for them to at least not get the doors blown off them um, a, a, against a, a very good, you know, top five, top 10 Notre Dame team. Um, their defense is still not good. Like, again, I'm not going to blow sunshine here. Their defense is not right. good. It needs a lot of work. Um, if Florida and Florida State were to play this year, uh, they might, they might, teams might combine for 100. Um just given how bad the defenses have been at times. So there's still major holes there. Um, And then you look at offense, maybe, maybe they found their quarterback in Jordan Travis. I'm still not Mm. sold yet because I'm still not sold on his ability to pass. Um, He's a very good runner, very good uh, with the ball in his hands, but I'm still not sure if he's the right kind of, just a great passer yet. I want to see more information, Um, but he took a step forward and the, the, the Knowles, at least looked better. Um, what's really interesting to me about this North Carolina matchup uh, with, with the, the Tar Heels coming to town? Obviously, first of all, Mac Brown, who has, has North Carolina in the top five again, which is, which is crazy. But also, this is you know, and I wrote about this on, on TampaBay.com. This is one of the quarterbacks who got away from FSU. Um, again, somewhere out there, there's an alternate universe where yep. uh, Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator for FSU under Willie Taggart in, in the 2018 season. Doesn't get pushed out/slash take the UMass job. In that case, Sam Howell, when he was a, a recruit in North Carolina, he really liked Walt Bell. They got along well. He was uh, the, the primary recruiter. So instead of uh, Sam Howell going to his home state Tar Heels, the four-star top hundred national recruit stays at uh, you know, keeps his long commitment to Florida State, and then FSU has a quarterback at the future under Willie Taggart instead of not signing one, and then maybe mm. things go differently in 2019 and maybe taggart's still the coach and maybe the knolls are are making a lot of progress under a really talented quarterback um instead sam howell's going to be coming in one of the top offenses in the country and a top five team trying to kick the knolls tail on saturday
1: mac brown has done a terrific job and and i'm a big mac brown fan I'm, i'm happy for him and of course north carolina has has it going you know, Jeff Scott knew he had some work to do at USF, uh, but at the East Carolina game, I, I looked at the schedule and said, "Okay, this is one they should get there at home." They had some fans; it was homecoming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not so good for uh, for Jeff Scott. Um, I think the quarterback, maybe they've settled on on McLeod a little bit. I mean, maybe they they made some progress there. But this is a this is a bigger job, perhaps. And and I'll throw in like everybody's dealing with COVID, new staff, and all of that. Uh, that that was a that was a humbling loss to East Carolina.
0: Yeah, because East Carolina's not good. Like they haven't been mm. good in a while um, since they fired Ruffin McNeil, however many years ago, and they had you know uh, Lincoln Riley as the OC. They haven't been good in a while. And I, you're mm. you're exactly right. I looked at the schedule when it came out, thinking, okay, that that's one. I don't know how many conference games they're going to end up winning, but if there's one, that's yeah. it. And you look at the schedule all mm. the rest of the way. Temple's not great, but they're not bad either. Tulsa right. has I'm not sure what to make of them. I'm not buying the Golden Hurricane yet, but they did mm-hmm. beat UCF and they hung with Oklahoma State, so maybe they're going to be pretty decent. Memphis, I still yeah. think, is good. Houston, I think, is pretty good. Navy's been a mess, but by the end of you know, by November, maybe Navy has figured it out, and then and then UCF at, at the end, and I guess potentially the FAU makeup game as well, but you look at that, I don't see a win there. I mean, who the heck knows that this, this year is so unpredictable, but, but just looking at it where we are right now, I don't see a win there. Um, mm. And I don't blame that entirely on Jeff Scott because he inherited a situation that wasn't good, and then obviously the circumstances of this godforsaken mm. year have not helped, but that, I think that's just the reality of where they are. It's a long. I, I knew it was a rebuilding job and a long haul. I think we learned so far through their first couple of games it's an even longer uh, road back than I thought
1: godforsaken year is a good way to put 2020 and <laughs> college football for as much as we're in the south and we watch obviously the sec which seems to be king and then and then the acc uh you know in, in our state as well it doesn't seem like college football to me matt until the big 10 gets going next week i miss miss i miss michigan ohio state iowa you know all those all those teams wisconsin my wife's alma mater of course so we're we're just t-minus one week away how do you think uh those teams will be perceived will it be instant recognition that yep ohio state is really one of the best teams in the country bar bar very few um and 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 how much does college football need the big 10 right now
0: i think you know last week was probably the one where i first kind of felt like it's college football because because there was a a lot of kind of craziness going on at, at various times and it felt a little bit better, but I, no, I think you're right. Um, is it really college football if Michigan State and Iowa are not in a punt fest on ESPN <laughs> two with, with a game that starts at eleven local time in front of like <laughs> yeah, there you go. eight people <laughs> it, with with a, a slate gray sky and sleet or whatever? Uh. No, it's not that. And and I joke, I'm, I'm a Big Ten guy. I, I love the Big Ten, but you you definitely need some of those games to kind of produce the. I mean, look i I'm stealing this line from somebody, maybe it's Dan Wetzel. college football is, is is a symphony like it's it's not one thing it's a symphony. you need all of the sounds you need the high scoring stuff you need the weirdness you need the low scoring and the punt fest. That's what makes it great because you never know <laughs> on any given Saturday what the story is going to be because it could be so, um <laughs> you know uh florida and and l s u It could be four overtimes in the red river rivalry, or it could be some stupid, crazy ending in in Nebraska, Iowa. You never know. And that's what makes it so great to have that unpredictability. So yeah, the more the merrier. And once we get those guys back, it will feel more like fall and more like college football. Um, to to answer your question in terms of like actual football things here. Yeah. Ohio state's going to be really good. I'm really interested to watch them play. Um, I don't know how rusty they're going to be um but look I mean, Justin Fields r- right now the Heisman race is Travis Etienne and, and and Trevor Lawrence from Clemson one and two I think yeah. in that order yeah. but I don't know who's three and I don't know who's going to get in that mix to maybe challenge the Clemson guys but if you're looking at it I think Justin Fields would be the the first name in terms of the guy with the potential and Ohio State look they're a team that could win a national championship so yeah nice, I would yeah. definitely want to see how they look they open up against the uh, Scott Frost in Nebraska so I want to see how they're looking early on and get a taste of, okay, do I think these guys can hang with Clemson and Bama and Georgia, which right now to me are the three pretty clear best teams in the country.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And so to use your analogy, I guess the big 10 are the tuba players of of the symphony <laughs> or, or something I would, like I would, I would agree
0: I was... with that. Uh, I, I'm, I think more sousaphone <laughs> um, just because okay. it, the sousaphone <laughs> dot in the eye at uh, – in Columbus, is just such a tradition. I think there's sousaphones. Uh, maybe a little bit of, <laughs> of weird mellophone in there as well. I'm a marching band guy, so I move it to I marching say, band spoke- rather than <laughs> concert band. But, um, yeah, definitely some uh, some weird brass in there.
1: Spoken like a guy that knows his marching bands, and he does. And he knows his college football, too. He's Matt Baker. You can read him in the Tampa Bay Times and on tampabay.com about, uh, .com about all the craziness that's going on in college football football on and off the field as the case may be thanks matt we appreciate it sure thanks rick all right my thanks to matt baker always good to talk to him game five of the american league championship series is today and that one's at uh, five o'clock so make sure you make a uh, notation of that and hey folks uh if you're looking for a party platter maybe you know entertaining some guests for that game five of the race in american league championship series call mr empanada you know what those are. Those those are when they take your favorite homemade food and they put it in this great, gorgeous dough and it's cooked perfectly until it's golden brown and piping hot. And the empanadas, of course, are just a fresh twist on some old favorites. You can order delicious menu items made from scratch, including soup, salads, and Cuban sandwiches online at MrEmpanada.com or you can call any of their seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay where Latin food, quality, and service meet. It's Mr. Empanada. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.